Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And I just want you to know, everybody here at the Vorthos cast, we don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing we need. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make you happy, Carrie. <laughs> the, the one thing we need for Christmas is for whoever at Wizards of the Coast is listening to this podcast to go and post Children of the Nameless in the magic story section on the website. <laughs> just do it just you have the power if someone wants it i can i'll find a pdf and send it to you and you can post it it's okay you can find that online without them posting it what i I don't know if you go to google and you google children of the nameless by brandon sanderson uh full pdf text you'll find it (laughs) it's it's not like they published it on like a web page or something and people like copied and pasted it and made like a you know whatever pdf like they posted a downloadable PDF. I think I, I I still have it saved to like my old phone. We need it like, for the Innistrad season. Yeah, for Christmas, which is the Innistrad season, as far as I'm concerned, because um, that's where we generally are around Christmas time. Is Innistrad if there's an Innistrad set out? Uh, that's for me. I mean, like the first Innistrad sets went through Christmas time. Uh, I think Shadows Over Innistrad and Eldritch Moon were both around Christmas time, Halloween, if I remember correctly. Um, and then that was, you know, now we're here. We're not getting another set until after Christmas. So give us Children of the Nameless. Uh, but yeah, this week we are talking about Innistrad's story again. I know it's been so long. It's been like three podcast episodes since we talked about Innistrad Midnight Hunt. But now we've already got story for Innistrad Crimson Vow. Um, does anyone have any like news they want to share? Uh, the only thing I can think of is by the time you're listening to this, the full set has been previewed and released and uh, it's coming out on Arena like this week. Um, we have not seen everything because we record on Thursdays, so we don't know what's in the commander sets. And we've seen most of the main set. Um there's probably like a few commons and uncommons sprinkled throughout that we haven't seen, but we've seen all the heavy hitters by now. So uh, we won't be talking about them because we haven't seen all of them, but we can talk about the story. So yeah, um, our first story this week starts with uh, Grigori, a Stinthia resident who's uh, collecting the, the blood of his unconscious mother as a blood type who Olivia, who has sent out letters to the residents of near my settlements to say hey i need blood and everyone's going to donate a bowl and if you don't uh we'll kill you if you break the bowls we'll kill you um <laughs> if you, you kill the messenger we'll yeah uh it's pretty grim uh it's worth mentioning this is uh tides and invitations by k arsenal rivera who is returning from midnight hunt um we just skipped over the name of the story and went right into it so i just want to make sure anyone listening knows no it's all right um, K. Arsenault Rivera returning for Crimson Val, continuing the story. But uh, yeah, what does Grigori do with this bowl of blood? So he places the bowl of blood uh, alongside his own outside and watches bats, not pigeons, not crows, bats, uh, fly through the sky and delivering invitations to... This is one thing I wasn't sure. Is it like, is our random citizens getting them or is it just delivering them to vampires and he's just watching the bats go by? Did I miss that? Yeah, I think like the swarm of swarm. What is the proper term for like a a, a large number of bats? I think it's swarm. I, yeah, it's a swarm of bats. Um, they're they're flying through the sky, and some of them are carrying invitations. And he he doesn't call them invitations, but he describes the invitation that we know what it looks like thanks to all the art. 
Um, and then a couple of them break off and go to pick up his uh, bowls of blood, um, which is a question I have is how are these bats carrying glass bowls of blood without spilling it or like dropping the bowl? Like this is not a very efficient way to transport bowls of blood. They're the enchanted. bowls, they don't even they have lids. They're, they are enchanted, but they don't even have lids. Like I'm just, I'm concerned. But what's the name of the game that we play? Is it a suspension of disbelief and allowing myself to just accept <laughs> things? No, no, Chris, it's magic. <laughs> it's I magic. don't play that game. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, goodness. Um, anyway, <laughs> after we see uh, the bats fly off and uh, Grigori ends his uh, part of our story uh, after expressing some hopelessness, which is, you know, the custom for humans on this plane, this godforsaken plane. Uh, we cut to Adeline, heroic Cathar, beacon of light, looking for light in the darkness. You know, they're they're putting down monsters left and right. Um, and, you know, she sees a little bit of sunshine. Wait, no, not sunshine. Flames. Chandra. Looking good, Chandra. Looking good. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> the uh, they've been count like like this is ending a counterattack after the failed uh, defense of the uh, harvest tide ritual, uh, trying to reclaim some of the the villages and whatnot that have gone under to the attacks of the werewolves and vampires, and um, it's, it's not looking good for the humans on Innistrad. I mean. More than normal, man, I guess. I don't know. How does this compare to Emrakul? I mean, like, it's pretty bad. I think this is, like, my my understand, my feeling from the stories is that everyone looks back on the travails and they're like, oh, yeah, that was a pretty rough time. That was pretty bad. It was, you know, apocalyptic monster invasion. Uh, but Innistrad endures, you know? We got through that. Um, and this situation feels a lot more like, a, okay, yeah, no, we can't. This is it. We're done. Um, that was a thing throughout all of uh, Midnight Hunt was all of the characters who were like, Innistrad endures, Innistrad always endures. And then we get a little bit of that at the start of the story with Grigori's mom, who's like, she says Innistrad endures and then like falls into a coma. <laughs> so like, and then Grigori ends his little like section of the story with Innistrad would continue on dying and undying. And uh, so I think they're not on the Innistrad endures train anymore. I think Innistrad is... um. Yeah, I think Innistrad is no longer indoors. I think it's outdoors. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, to me, it seems to say Innistrad indoors after those travails have passed, right? But, like, I'm trying to compare Emrakul to warping everything to no more sunshine for the short amount of time the humans remain, right? So, like, if if Emrakul isn't ended, how much faster do the human does humanity on Innistrad die? I don't I don't even think it was like a serious threat to humanity as a whole on Innistrad. I feel like Dark Ascension was probably the closer parallel for like the threat presented by monsters to humanity versus um Crimson Vow in this case. Interesting. Anyway, getting back Emerical, to Emerical wasn't gonna destroy the plane. That bit was clear. It was just gonna gotta kinda be like funky for a while. <laughs> she wasn't gonna crunch she was just gonna nibble yeah exactly gotcha 
that's a joke to all the longtime visitors or listeners. <laughs> um, anywho, um, so the Planeswalkers, which is Chandra, Kaya, Teferi, um, Arlen. Arlen, yep, Arlen. <laughs> I do Innistrad's, know missing one. Like, own Arlen. <laughs> yeah. And Adeline are having a meeting, uh, trying to figure out what the next course of action is. Um, where And while this is going on, Adeline and Chandra are going, uh, are, are sitting kind of close. They, and, uh, they get the only two-seater chair. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> there just happens to be one place left for them to sit, and it's the one that holds exactly two people. Yep. And uh, Kai is just observing, smirking. She set it up. Let's. Just, she just. <laughs> we know she did. She made sure no one else sat in that chair. She made sure Adeline and Chandra sat together. Uh, but you know, Arlen's getting kind of uh, desperate. She knows that th- this this isn't sustainable, and uh, you know and voices the opinion they need to do something and adeline is suggestion uh, suggesting options that don't really have any kind of viability um but arlen then uh suggests teaming up with thorn and chandra's like you can't be serious pretty sure that's exactly what she says right <laughs> she does because it, it really sounds kind of dumb when when they when arlen suggests it it's kind of like what do you mean this guy like fought an angel <laughs> like he's not gonna help us um but yeah it, it's uh it's desperate times calls for desperate measures and arlen's like uh she thinks he can help them get back to the moon silver key considering he had it before um and teferi will is always uh, the calm voice of reason in his old age remarking that uh that he's done soren for centuries and he acknowledges that Soren, if anything, is a pragmatist, and he thinks he can get through to him with that logic. Um, on the contrary, when we cut to Soren, Soren thinks Innistrad is screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's not too optimistic. He's he's thinking about like when this whole vampire thing started out, and he was he crunched the numbers and did the math, and was like, "Oof, this is not good." Um, it's like one of my favorite lines from the story. He says, uh, if no vampire ever died and each vampire fed once a month, often killing their donor, speaking conservatively, and humans took nine months to reproduce, well, it just didn't make sense. He he did the math and found out like, oh, you know, this <laughs> we have too many vampires, too few humans. Vampires live forever. Humans die. This won't be good. And that, um, that doesn't even account for the hedonistic... Uh attitudes of the Innistrad vampires as it is so yeah it's not looking good uh and it was constantly constantly brought up to edgar whenever um edgar awoke from his reveries reminds me of the all-father or odin in um in thor the mcu thor movies you know he he takes naps every once in a while and sometimes he'll wake up years down the road so um every time he woke up Swarm was there just like having books and giving him numbers. And Edgar's like, eh, we have time to fix it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that was six, six millennia, six millennia later. And just like, finally, Soren decides to, you know what? If they can't control themselves, I'll control them. And he creates Avison. And then everything goes happily ever after. <laughs> um. Right. Yeah, but now no, we, we have the two Innistrad sets. We know what happens with Avison. She uh, <laughs> she don't she don't do too well. 
Things don't go right for Avison. If you just answer your calls, none of this would happen. But you <laughs> just had to go put her straight to voicemail. I, I can't blame Soren for not answering when Nahiri called because he probably heard the call and assumed it was someone about to ask him about his car's extended warranty. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that, 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 that's rough. That's rough. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, he, he seeks out the counsel of Edgar once again. Uh, and this time there's something different. Edgar's. Yeah, Edgar's not there. What do you mean there's something different? <laughs> the thing that's different is that it's not there. Hey, I was getting there. I was I easing into it, Chris. Gosh. It, just, it made me laugh because I was thinking to myself, like, it's like, you know, you walk into the room, you're like, hmm, what's the thing that's off here? Well, the whole room is missing. That's what's <laughs> off here. <laughs> there's literally nothing there. Thanks for stealing my punchline, Chris. Gosh. And at this point, it's the perfect time for a wedding invitation to fly in on the wings of a bat. He he looks, he's reading it, and he's like, this, mm. and perfect timing for the Planeswalker crew and Adeline to show up in his study. Yeah, it's a very funny scene, because, like, as, as Soren is walking up the steps back to his, like, reading room or whatever, he hears them talking about uh, Arlen saying, like, now be careful, that book is made of human skin. <laughs> and the scene he walks in on is like Chandra with like her hands in the air, like, oh my God. And like everyone's kind of just laughing over this. Um, and Soren is in his head is like, of course it's human skin. What else would it be made of? Yeah, he says uh, he wouldn't collect uh, books from novices. <laughs> Crazy. But uh, yeah, it looks like everybody has a wedding to crash. Yeah, I um, that little moment at the end made me laugh a lot because it's like, Soren's like rightfully really upset that these people are in his home, but he's also upset that like there was any like concept that the tome wouldn't be made of human skin. Cause like Soren, we get like a lot of world building on Soren in this one where we learn a lot about him as a character and the fact that he like has an archive of all of the knowledge to ever have existed on an Estrad, essentially like everything from like books of the holiest prayers and rites of the church to like, books from stitchers on you know making scobs and like i'm sure he's got some like demonic tomes and stuff laying around because he just he wants to have all of innistrad cataloged he wants to know it perfectly um and part of that he talks about like innistrad was always this place where he he may not be able to control the other planes he may not you know he may be surprised what's out there in the the multiverse but every time he comes back to innistrad he knows innistrad um it's kind of like that's his safety plane. He can go there. He knows everything. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Uh, and now he's watching it kind of slip away from him because, you know, vampires. I, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I can't wait to get in my house. And then you open up your door and it's like a shitty pit of suffering. And you're like, oh, home sweet home. Like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> he could make things like materially better for a couple people. Yeah, exactly. Well, the funny thing is, if, if, if Soren sparked when he was made into a vampire, as we are made to believe, that means he spent like 6,000 years as an old walker. Like, he <laughs> had the power to do anything he wanted. He could have just gotten rid of vampirism yeah. on Innistrad. He could have gotten rid of vampirism and gotten rid of the plagues and oh the famines. God. He could have done everything, but no. 
He's Soren Markov, so he was just a vampire. And then when things got too tough, instead of getting rid of vampires, he made an angel. Like, I had I hadn't even considered that. Like Jesus, I think he just doesn't want to put in the effort. Like <laughs> no, we've kind that, of proven that he's just a lazy bastard and doesn't. That, that doesn't make sense because it sounds like at, the creation of Addison was a lot of work. Yes, but I think that was a last resort. Like uh, um. We're getting to the dire days of yeah, I, think, I think the story said there was a couple months left before they ran out of humans entirely at that point. But it was still just like with a with with old Walker powers, like he could yeah. have changed the biomes of, of, of the plane. Like I mean, you also have like I mean, old walkers on Ravenica, you have Azor and the fact that like the entire plane is just seeded creatures from planeswalkers and it's like and what did you do you made it into a utopian paradise oh no you just made it into this weird uh pseudo-governmental hell with a whole bunch of guilds and also a guildless class that is like uh beneath all their feet it's like i mean no you don't make a good place you make a bad place and but, you call it your own but it, it, it's different like to me it's, it's slightly different because as far as azor was concerned the plane was thriving for the most part it, they there was just some dispute yeah Soren literally saw the humanity on his plane was about to die out because of all the bad stuff that was going on. And like he only he he only put an angel to protect it and instilled the church. He didn't change like the weather or like like do any like oh my gosh. So there- so here's my my counter to all of this. I know I pressed the the idea that well he was an old walker, he could have done anything. What if he was really weak? What if he was just like a really <laughs> shitty old walker? Like he just Maybe. didn't have any power. <laughs> like what if literally the best he could do was Avicen? I mean, he was able to successfully uh, scare off Liliana when she first hopped up by there. So like, I don't know. Maybe that's just his personality rather than his power level. Being on Innistrad just gives you bonus points to being scary. I also yeah, think just, that, I also works. think that Liliana probably wasn't looking for a fight. Like she's just here to chill out. Like yeah. she doesn't really care to fight him over the dominance of the plane. She just wanted someplace to chill where people won't look at her funny for having too many zombies, right? I will say, like, Soren Markov at least made an effort. Like you have Edgar British Petroleum Markov, who's like, Oh yeah, watch <laughs> your blood footprint. It's like, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? You made this. You made this whole problem. Like, you could solve this whole problem right now. But... Because, like, when... Like, I'm looking at it from my favorite planeswalker, Fraley's, and, like, looking what she did to sustain Sky Shroud on Dominaria, where the, 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 the rifts were actively draining her power, like... So Soren was just a really bad planeswalker. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> Which is, Look at what uh, Fraley's did with the world spell, where she's like, "Oh, the world will freeze to death. Maybe we should stop this." Like, <laughs> yeah, like that—that—that—that's that, just for anyone listening. That is the spectrum in which I'm viewing Soren in right now, and it, it's oh, this just proves me to me more that he should have stayed in that freaking rock. Now, I I will say I actually felt um, I won't say like pity. Or anything, but I did feel like this story made Soren a somewhat um I don't want to even say likable, because that gives him too much. It made <laughs> it gave him a character. Like yeah. we haven't really had a good Soren story in a long time. Um, and this one was like 
a really good look at Soren where we get to see some of his like inner monologue and thoughts, um, especially since like he does sort of have that moment when he's walking through his archive and he's like, they're all calling out to me, save me, save us or, you know, what they're saying. And he's he he says he want he they they uh, the line is save us. They say to him, I'm trying. He wants to say so like there is a piece of Sor- of Soren that wants to help this plane. But I think there's also like 6,000 years of, you know, pretty messed up um, psychology going on here where Soren is just a messed up guy. Like he's just got a lot going on inside, I think. Um, and some of that is like, you know, he had a lot of opportunities to fix this problem and he never did. And now he can't. Uh, so, yeah, good job, Soren. It's also just that he kind of gets the center stage in this set story, or at least mm. this story in particular. Um in Zendikar 1.0, he was kind of cleaning up the mess of people who had started unlocking the Eldrazi. And then in um, the original Innistrad block, he kind of is jumping into a mess made by Liliana trying to unleash Gristlebrand. And then Innistrad 2.0, he's trying to prevent whatever Nahiri's doing on pretty much any level. Um, and even like Tarkir, he was just there trying to talk to Ugin and figure out how exactly to deal with any of the problems. Like now he's just kind of relatively hopeless and gets to stew on all the stuff he did and didn't do for his entire life. (laughs) So yeah, serves him right. But uh, yeah, any, um, any other thoughts on this first main story? Um, My, my only like other thought that we really haven't touched on is the fact that, uh, the the story kind of opens up um, with the Gregory thing where we kind of learn like what's going on in Stencia. Uh And then when we cut to Adeline and Chandra and all them, there's like, you know, the great flirting between Adeline and Chandra, but there's also like this sort of direness in the situation that permeates the entire discussion where it's like, yeah, no, we're, we're fighting back. We're going to, you know, we're battling these monsters and all this. And it's like, yeah, but like this isn't gonna work because by the time we even you know get enough people to raise a house, the people who were gonna live there will be dead. Like it's just it's unsustainable. It sounds absolutely dreadful, um, and that's a huge, huge departure from like that lingering spirit of hope that we had throughout Midnight Hope, Midnight Hunt. See, I I even think like <laughs> the set was Midnight Hope. They had hope, and now they don't. It's just bad. Everything sucks now. Um, so our first side story of Crimson Vow is The Edge of the World by returning author Aisha Farah. Um, we start off with Jacob Hawken, who is a investigator alongside Eloise. How do you say that name? Do you know? Eloise. 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 Never encountered it prior. Uh, <laughs> we start off with Jake and Haw- Jacob Hawken, who is investigator alongside Eloise Wicker, and they are investing a case of vengeful geist in Selhof, a town in Nephalia, and they're meeting with a businessman named Lord Nellick, um, who seems a bit too cheery and upbeat. Uh, he confirms that the geist have been attacking people with wicked morals, and they also just so happen to be, like, very, very highly placed officials in most cases. <laughs> uh, I think that's just Innistrad, where all of the, if you are, um, if you're you're a bad person, you're probably like a business owner or a mayor or uh, some other kind of influential person in the city. Because guess what? Innistrad is a little too similar to uh, the real world. Anyways, 
Yeah. Uh, including notably a mayor who had evicted a city block. Um, and they're kind of confused why he went after, why the Geist went after Lord Nellick. Um, he's just a run of the mill businessman. Um, but not, not too much to think about. Um, after leaving though, Jacob and Eloise run into the supposed guys who are attacking people. And after feeling their rage washed through him, Jacob uses warding magic and forces the guys away. Um, he re- reveals to a recovering Eloise that he grew up amongst some guys lovers. And Eloise touches Jacob's face after they discuss his childhood traumas. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, it's, it's, it's like a little really bit, weird scene. It's a little bit suicidal, not really. Like in a in an apathetic way where it's just like, oh, if things are so great on the other side and you can find out all those mysteries, why don't you just go jump in the bay? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's really like, that's a like, weird question. It's a really depressing moment where like Jacob is like explaining like, yeah, no, I grew up amongst these people who like revered the dead and they love talking to ghosts. And they thought ghosts have all of the like truths of the world. And and Eloise is like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Oh, real interesting. So like if they have if they think the ghosts know everything, uh, why don't they just die? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why do you stay alive? And she like asks Jacob, like, why don't you just jump into the bay? And Jacob like thinks about it for a minute. And he's like, I don't know. And Eloise goes, well, you know, I don't want they're going to have to drag me under. But part of his drive and continuing doing the work that he does is that he had a, a childhood friend who had died mysteriously. Um, and his general family and community didn't really think much of it because death to them is nothing but an ascendancy to <laughs> to knowing more. Um, and he still wanted to get to the bottom of what exactly happened with uh, that childhood friend. Um, but as they're wrapping up this conversation, Jacob feels something slither into him and jumps away. But then the doctor arrives. Um, so the doctor cares for Eloise. And then he leaves ashen-faced and acting pretty odd um, towards Jacob. And when Jacob ends up speaking to Eloise after, she has no memory of anything that took place between them leading them leaving Lord Nellick's estate and when she was waking up there. Um, and then the guys begin to attack again. And once more, they're going after Eloise, but then they're stopping curiously in front of them. Um, Jacob is able to talk to one of the guys, and the guys explains that they were going after Eloise, but... She's not the one that they're looking for anymore. Um, Jacob uses some magic to bring the Geist into a more solid form. She reveals that her name is Millicent and that she was one of the many Geists that was used to fuel a Geist bomb that Eloise had told Jacob about before, but had since forgotten since it was in that interim period. Um, Millicent then reveals that a Necro alchemist that had created the bomb had died in the explosion that killed that small town. Um, but she has seen him since. So yeah, we get the idea that this dude is a ghost. Um, yes. And, and the yeah. ghosts from his bomb are going after him, which is yeah. good. <laughs> also worth mentioning, Millicent is the uh, blue white commander for the precon commander deck. So uh, we are we have seen three Innistrad legends in this story. We have Jacob Halkin, who's in Crimson Val. Uh, Eloise, who is in the Midnight Hunt Commander decks, and Millicent, who is in the Crimson Val Commander decks. So 
everyone talking about we get these you know legendary creatures without story well they're putting a bunch of them in this one we get three of them jam, jam pack it full so after this um realization with millicent jacob rushes to confront nelik and realizes what's going on um he asks Nelik if he knows a man named Cyril Rav, which was the name of the Necro Alchemist who had set off that Geist Bomb. Um, this upsets Nelik, who then attempts to spiritually possess Jacob, um, and Jacob uses his magic to protect himself. So the two discuss some more, and Rav, Cyril Rav reveals that he knows that Jacob was a member of the Vizag Atom, um, revered Geist talkers and the community that he had grown up in. Um, Jacob, reve- Jacob reveals he knows Rav and has been possessed. That apologies. Jacob reveals that he knows Rav has been possessing influential people, and which is why Millicent and the other Geists have been killing them. Um, Rav makes Jacob a deal. They the end of this deal is really unknown. Like he makes an offer. He says. You could join my forces, and uh, Cyril Rav will never possess Jacob, and Jacob could use Cyril Rav to help avenge his dead childhood friend. That is the proposed offer, and then we cut to outside, where Eloise and Millicent are still outside the manor. Millicent cannot enter because of the wards that Cyril Rav has since put up, but Eloise goes in, and she finds it empty. And Nelik's body is on the floor. Um, Jacob is missing. There was no sign of a fight. And Millicent wants to search for Rav. And Eloise offers her services to the Geist. So who knows what happens? He could have took the deal. He could have not took the deal. We never know, really. But I'm hoping we get a follow-up to this. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm going to be super upset if we don't get a follow-up before we uh, finish all the story for this set. There's a there's a dog barking outside my window, so I'm trying to um, not say anything important because <laughs> it probably might get picked up. Yeah, I w- overall really like this as a side story. It I like unresolved stories. I like even if it's just heavily implied, I still like the uncertainty of. Um, I mean, Eloise and Jacob were not on close terms prior to this, so it's not as if he's like betraying a friend or anything cyril rob has nothing against eloise or millicent for that matter he's just a ruthless geist necro alchemist (laughs) who uh wants to do cool things in the afterlife and um jacob is obviously willing to take him up on that offer well we assume he is because the the ending kind of leaves the idea that like jacob left with cyril rab's ghost um, but there's no like resolution. So maybe he like just banished the ghost and then like went on his own way and left Eloise and Millicent behind. But like, yeah, I don't feel like that. Like, I feel yeah. like he would have just walked out the house and ran yeah. into them. So, yeah, Jacob's reason for living seems to be to get some resolution to his childhood friend's death. So it is a means to an end, whether you're working with a pretty deranged dude (laughs) as long as you as long as you have the access to the realm of the dead you can start to look for answers and uh cyril rav is not a good person yeah (laughs) real shitbag he he seems really terrible and so like he did do good getting the rich people to die but like (laughs) 
you know. Well, yeah, but he also like bombed a small town, so yeah. <laughs> I don't really have a lot of respect for him. Um, yeah, I mean, like I I'm wouldn't trust for, him either. Yeah. I'm all for like eating the rich, but like not if you too are rich. That's not called eating the rich. That's called consolidating capital. Um, but uh, anyways, no, I thought this was I thought this was great. Uh, I like the the fact that it's like a mystery, but it's like it feels very kind of like Sherlock Holmesy in a way where we get little clues throughout the story and we can kind of piece it together ourselves. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was, uh, it was cool. It was good. Um, what was I cool. think of, yeah. what I think of on these third returns to planes like Ravnica and um, Innistrad in this case is what are the characters, if any, there could just be empty from these sets, but like, what are the characters who appear in the story that are so beloved that they turn into the next um, pretty much insert any name of character that has been on a, like we want a legendary character of this card or legendary card of this character list, like who will be the actual standouts. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I know this is a one-off side story. I know it's probably not as likely to be picked up as the main story or side characters in the main story, but like I want a Cyril Rav card. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I you know I wouldn't be shocked if there is a Cyril Rav card in yeah. the blue white commander deck. Millicent deck, yeah. Yeah. Um cuz Cyril Rav like he feels like a very blue character in the sense that like not just you know oh he was a necro alchemist who were naturally pretty blue uh to blue red um but also like he can possess living people and that's like he makes a big deal about that being like his unique ability that he can possess living people yeah uh, and i'm like well you know that's a really easy card design you have a card that can control other creatures congratulations <laughs> there's yeah. Cyril rav um it's not you know it's not that uh not that difficult to make that happen um so i i wouldn't be shocked if he was in that set and the funny thing is by the time this episode airs we'll know yeah there we um, go and then we would have four, four legendary creature yes. cards in one story. Yeah, probably haven't hit that peak since probably Dominaria. <laughs> or at I least mean, in a single side, side-ish story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good yeah. stuff, though. Good first week. I'm, uh, I'm really excited about the main story. I'm really interested in seeing where it's going to go because, like, things are bad. And when things are this bad, they, they, they have to get worse before the story ends, you know? Like, it just can't keep getting better for everybody, every story. So there's going to be something even worse than what we've had so far. So I'm interested in how that's going to go. Yeah, I'm hoping that all of the side stories have, like, a Jacob Hawken, um, like, bent to it. So it's like a him tracing his way through Innistrad, looking for clues to his uh, dead friend. And he runs into, like, Elena and Helena. Uh and a whole bunch of other characters that we see and like it eventually gets solved, but like it's mainly just him going through different sides of Innistrad trying to find answers. That's what my hope is for the side story. I would love that. Like I know they've teased the kind of through thread with um, back in the Zendikar Rising story, but that was more of like two side characters getting wrapped up into the main storyline. I would be fully fine if the side stories just managed to be five side stories that were all following on a parallel plot thread. Doesn't even need to be chronologically parallel to the main set story. 
just as long as it's something interesting. And this I is would, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I would also just be happy if like the last side story was just the follow up for this one where it's like, you know, we get the story about, you know, Jacob and Eloise and Millicent and Cyril Rav. And then like we get three side stories about other characters. And then the last one we get is like, oh, while this was all going on, guess what was happening with, you know, Jacob and Cyril Rav and all of that. Um, also written by Aisha Farah, who uh, I don't, we mentioned that she's a returning author. She wrote um, uh, the Strixhaven uh, one. Yeah. Rutha's story in Strixhaven, um, A Cry of Magic is I think what it was called. And uh, that was a super good story. And this one yes. is also very good. And I'm, I'm just hoping we get more of uh, more of her stories um, getting, getting like a stable of those like side story authors who can like pop in and just write like a really memorable story every so often about some of these characters will do really well for magic. Um, we got two stories from Shauna McGuire in Midnight Hunt. And I think that was very, very popular. Uh, and now bringing back uh, Aisha Farah for this story is also like a very good choice. And they should keep doing that. You don't have to like take that author and use them for like all five stories or something. You can just be like, hey, you we got a lot of really good feedback about your story. Come write another one. Yeah. So No, I'm fully in favor of that. It is um, nice to see returning faces from the like newest roster ever since mm. they've kind of moved away from using the established authors and the novella series. You know the era. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, there's been like eight different eras of magic story yeah. in the last. It's the big <laughs> wave hands era after they did the in-house yeah. people. And then after they did the contracted big name authors and then, you know. Yeah. Not that I'm saying I would, I would love for Martha Wells to come back and write another story. I hope, you know, they could get her back to write some Dominaria stories. I legitimately um, went to Ikea this weekend and listened to all systems read on the way there and i still have to finish it it is only like a three hour ebook but most of most of the ebooks in the Murderbot series seem to be three to four hours but i will be continuing on that series yeah that's my final thought there you go <laughs> <laughs> i guess i guess it's that time so <laughs> final thoughts yeah my final thought is um sometimes people try to be clever and tell people that they are immunized when they are asked the question if they're vaccinated, and um, it's not cute. Mm. You say you're vaccinated and you are vaccinated, well, you're not. Um, yeah, I'm having yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm super salty at a certain uh, sports star um, right now for being super cagey and deceiving. Um, people thinking into thinking he was vaccinated when he was not. So, um, yeah, like just I, I'm. I, it must be the Selesnian in me, but uh, honesty is the best policy. And um, I hope you get your shit together. <laughs> I think at this point, if if you ask someone if they've been vaccinated and they don't just say yes, uh, the answer is no. No, yeah. <laughs> like yep. um, it doesn't matter what they tell you like oh you know i'm uh yeah i mean like i'm immunized it's like no you're you just the answer is either yes or no uh it's not that hard and the the only thing is like i do know that if you have covid and you recover there is a time period afterwards where you are very unlikely to catch covid again 
and you cannot get vaccinated because you've had it so recently that the vaccine won't be effective. Um, at this point, the vaccines have been available since like March. Like, unless you've had COVID continuously for eight months, <laughs> you can probably get vaccinated by now. But uh, yeah, that's the sports teams, huh? Uh, speaking of sports teams, the Atlanta Braves won something, I think, um, yeah, which is World pretty, Series. yeah, it's a pretty big deal for um, for Atlanta, where I live. There's like a parade tomorrow. Uh, but of course, the Atlanta Braves, uh, for those of you unfamiliar, uh, the Atlanta Braves, uh, their stadium and everything is not in Atlanta anymore. Uh, it's in uh, Kennesaw and Marietta, uh, <laughs> which is northwest of Atlanta. How uh, far? It's not far from where my new job is. So I'm <laughs> glad I don't have to go into work tomorrow because traffic is going to yeah. be a nightmare. It's uh, it's not that far from the city. Like It's like a 15 to 20 minute drive once you like, you know, from the city to the, the stadium. Uh, but the point is that it's not in the city. And they were in the city for a really long time uh, in what was Turner Field, named after Ted Turner, uh, the owner of the Turner, Ted Turner, Turner, Turner Dome. Um, (laughs) My God. (laughs) But uh, he um, he the Turner Field is like in the middle of Atlanta, and that's where they used to be for a really long time. And they moved up to Marietta and everyone was very salty about it. And so now this parade tomorrow. Now, by the time this is released, this would have happened. The parade is starting in downtown Atlanta, near where, close-ish to where the stadium used to be. They're starting the parade there, driving through downtown Atlanta until they hit the interstate exit, getting on the interstate. Oh my gosh, no, this, this, is, this is too much. <laughs> They're taking this parade up to Marietta to the end outside of the park <laughs> that they have up there now, it's which is so ridiculous. <laughs> And if you're not marching when you're getting out of your car in the big parking lot. Like... I'm just, I know that this parade is not going to be like people walking in the street with like, you know, floats and like ribbons and stuff. You don't just, know that. You don't I'm know just that. Imagining, I'm imagining a bunch of people just booking it on the interstate. <laughs> just like running as fast as they can up I-75 to get to the stadium. Um, but yeah, that's my final thought is that it's ridiculous. And I got woken up in the middle of the night by a bunch of fireworks, uh, and people shouting. So that's my final thought. I don't know how to tie this into, um, the thing that we always do at the end, but I guess, uh, Oh, the fact that we have a discord that you can join through our Patreon for $1 a month. And also another tier where you can live listen to us on Thursday nights at about 7 PM Eastern time, maybe 7 15. If some of us aren't fully read on the story, which we won't be, but you know, <laughs> that's just how we are. Uh, yeah. Patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. Uh, yeah. And you can follow us on uh, twitter.com slash the Vorthos cast and listen to us at, uh, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash, uh, user. And then a bunch of numbers, just search for the Vorthos cast. <laughs> <laughs> We're not big enough to get the dedicated URL. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you can change that by sharing us with your friends. Yeah, we've uh, we've got a lot of people in the Discord. It's great. It's my favorite time of the year is preview season because we all kind of like I don't know. It's just fun. Everything gets shared in the Discord, and we all talk about it, and we're all very excited about the set. Uh, you can find Vorthoses from around the world discussing Crimson Val previews. Except by the time you listen to this, they'll just be discussing Crimson Val because it'll be out. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, I think that's it for us. Who wants to see us out? Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.